We're going to be in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, we're going to read seven verses here in this moment. Um, homecoming is a traditional thing to do, tradition. And while there certainly are some traditions that we could get away from, there are also a lot of traditions I think are good. Homecoming is one of them, by the way. It's a good tradition. Yesterday, I got the chance to participate in a long-standing tradition, college football. I went up to Boone, North Carolina, and uh, went and watched Appalachian State whoop up on Elon. It wasn't even a fair fight. But I got to go up there. 30,000 people participated in that tradition. Ain't that ridiculous? Crazy. Crazy. They participated in watching the game, of course, but the sacraments of that of that, that tradition are lots of beer. That's one thing I know. They drank beer like it was going out. You couldn't even find water around the place. You couldn't find beer. I'll tell you that. And of course, they have their memories. Never forget 2007. Anybody who knows Appalachian State football knows 2007 is an important year. 34 to 32, University of Michigan goes down to little old Appalachian State University. But that's a tradition that, if we're honest about it, it goes back. I mean, really? Really? At state football? Really? Kind of goes back to about the 80s, something like that. And that, that one, I think it's Moore, was his name? He was a coach there. Really, that's when it goes back. But you could argue it goes back a few decades before that. But we're today celebrating a long-standing tradition. One that actually goes back, they just sang a song about that land that God provided, that goes back 2,000 years. And for two, I ain't been along that long. I mean, I'm 45 years old. That feels, I mean, 100 years, 125 years feels like a long time to me. But for 2,000 years, there have been people every Sunday morning getting together and saying we're celebrating that Jesus got out of the grave, that Jesus died on the cross for us. That's why we get together every Sunday morning, not just here, but there are Christians around the globe for 2,000 years have been doing that. They've been doing it through pandemics. They've been doing it under fear of persecution. They have been doing that for 2,000 years. 2,000 years. And we are here able to say that for 125 of those years, we got to do it here. That's the tradition worth celebrating. Now, I enjoy a good football game, but this is a tradition worth celebrating. And here at Ellisburg Baptist Church, we have a legacy that's worth our time and attention. That's the kind of legacy that Paul was talking about to this young man, Timothy. A uh, young man, by their standards, by our standards, he might have been a middle-aged man, because uh, they didn't really call you age until you got about 50 years old back in those days. But a young man, he was talking to him, and I'm just going to read some of this to you. Here in first, or Second Timothy, rather, and this is in chapter 1, and just going to start in verse 1. Paul is writing this letter, and he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Just announcing who he is. He tells who he's writing to. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
He's just telling him who he's writing it to. Here's what he wants to say. Verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience. So without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I might be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee all, that is that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Would you pray with me as I ask the Lord to help me share this thought with you this morning? Lord, please, we have heard some tremendous things this morning, praising your name. I pray that you were honored by everything, by both the, the, the performance of it, but also the attitude of the heart of the singers and the listeners. I pray that you've been worshipped by every aspect of this church. Lord, I'm going to stand here and try to recall or remind these people, have them recall what they're actually in this thing for. Help them. Bring that to mind. Have the Holy Spirit stir it up in them. And for those that have never seized upon this legacy, please, please, please convince them of their need. We ask this in Jesus' name. At Ellisburg Baptist Church, we have a long legacy of faith, much like the legacy that Paul talks about in verse 3. He serves his forefathers. Or rather, the God of his first forefathers. He serves the same God that his forefathers served with a pure conscience. Paul was talking about a very ancient faith. It didn't start with the Apostle Paul. It didn't even start, if I can just go ahead and say this, it didn't even start with Jesus and his disciples. It actually started way before that. It started all the way back all the way back to people like Moses and Abraham and David. This went back thousands of years, even prior to Paul writing about it. And of course, when Paul's writing about it, obviously he's hearing this, of course, from Jesus himself. He was stopped on the road to Damascus to hear about this true faith, this, this God that he would serve with a pure conscience. He heard it from God, from Jesus himself. And then, of course, fast-forwarding from Paul, in, in, this, in this letter that he's writing, we know that from the writer of Hebrews that we are surrounded about with a great cloud of witnesses. We can go back to the first century, second century, and even on up into the day to see so many that have given us that ancient faith. This is not something that was invented yesterday. I want you to know that. It's rooted and grounded in truth. This is a church that, this is a faith that is based on something that's gone through the ages. This church here, I don't know if you know this or not. Let me give you just, I know that uh, Brother Van gave you a good history of the church here, but let me give you a little history beyond that. This church is in a long line of non-conformist Christians. Meaning, we didn't line up with the Catholic Church and some of these other denominations that are out there and these other groups that call themselves Christians. We didn't line up with them. We didn't conform to that. We instead were in a line that was much more similar, not exactly, but much more similar to those Anabaptists who would believe that you needed to be saved. You needed to have a, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be baptized, to announce that faith to the world. And we're willing to be persecuted for that. 
course, in the United States, Baptists really show up in the 1700s. And there's a long history of Baptists throughout the United States and the colonies there as they try to establish themselves, generally speaking. I'm not ashamed of this. I'm pretty proud of this. The fact that the Baptists that I consider myself associated with, that we were the people, we were the, the, the church of the people. We weren't the, the, we weren't the guy that had all the money. That You were fixed to tell you if you did all that. Uh, we, were the, we were the people. We were the common folk. But the point I'm trying to get across is we have uh, history here. Of course, in 1845, the, the American Baptist uh, group split off over the horrible issue of slavery. We now have the Southern Baptist Convention that finds its roots there. Terrible roots as they are, I believe that church, uh, rather that convention, has gone on to do some amazing things for the Lord in spite of that, that moral beginning. But also, this particular church was founded out of, my understanding from the historical records, out of First Baptist of Madison. In 1841, that church was established. And then, of course, as you heard the story of how this church was established, a brush arbor, and now 28 pastors, give or take, and 125 years later, here we stand. I'm trying to get you to see what you heard from Van, what I just told you there. That's a long legacy. It's not a perfect legacy. Don't hear that. There are some fallible people have done some terrible things. I could point out some of them to you. I won't try to do that to besmirch our history, but I want you to know there are some bad people who do bad things because we're all human beings, you understand. But all of that said, we were all pointing to a perfect Savior. That's the legacy of this church. That's the legacy that you stand here. We have this general legacy, just like Paul talks about, that ancient history that goes way back. We also have a specific legacy. If you go to verse 5 of the text I read to you, Paul's telling Timothy to, he's reminding him of the faith that he sees in Timothy, but he says he st- it started in his grandma or his grandmother uh, uh, Lois and his mother Eunice. This is a very specific legacy that Timothy has. He found it in a godly mother and a godly grandmother. And I can't speak for everybody here. We take all day doing it, but I'm the preacher, so I get to tell you my story. So I'll just tell you this. I can tell you I have a specific legacy. My parents, TJ and Pamela Tilly, were believers. Really, by all, all accounts, my dad tells me that I am, and I believe what he says, that I am a second-generation Christian, meaning that my dad's parents were not believers. But my dad comes to Christ because of a testimony of his brother that had come to Christ. And that testimony found its root in the heart of my father as he was on his way to Vietnam doing one of his tours to Vietnam. And because of that, I have a legacy with my parents that have taught me the Word of God, taught me what's true. Just like Timothy, who can stand here and say, I've got a grandma, I've got a mama who taught me the truth of Jesus Christ. Some of you could give that testimony, that I had good parents, or maybe good grandparents, or maybe even further back in your line of, of family, which is great testimony. But I also want to go ahead and include this. Some of y'all say, sit there and say, well, count me out. My mama wasn't count, no count, Christian-wise. My daddy never took me to church, and I can understand that some of y'all have that in your legacy. But there's also other people, he says in verse 6 here, I put, uh, he says, I put this in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in me by the putting on of my hand. Uh, Paul is saying here, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, I have ordained you, I put my hands on you, I bless you. I've invested in you. 
And I can tell you that there are people, I can say for my own self, and I hope this is true for many in this room, that there are people, teachers, friends, pastors, people who love you, people who have invested in you, who have given to you this investment of the faith that is this ancient faith. They have told that on, gave that on to you. I can count among, and I'm going to take a minute because we're on a homecoming nostalgic Sunday, so I'm going to take a minute if y'all will grant me that. I have a very long list. I'm not going to give you the full list, but I'll give you a partial list of my spiritual fathers. This is not necessarily my parents or my grandparents, but these are people who ordained me, blessed me, invested in me. And I would like you, as I'm telling you this, why don't you turn me off right now and think about people who have done that to you, invested in you, blessed you. I can go back, and there are men that I can go back to, and I can say, because of what they have invested in me, I am what I am. My father-in-law, J.T. Byerly, one of the best preachers that I know, loves me in spite of who I am. Loves me in spite of the mistakes that I've made. Invest in me. Doesn't have to, but he does. Chuck Perkins, my pastor, I look at him as my pastor. Someone I love dearly. Going through his own challenges and troubles right now, but he has invested in me. There's a man who texts me every Sunday morning. His name is Jimmy Smith. This man doesn't owe me anything. But he invests in me. He sends me a message and tells me he's praying for him, praying for the service to see He does that every morning. Bobby Sands, man that I love. I haven't talked to him in a while. He begs the question, do I really love him? But I really do. He invested in me at a time when nobody else was. He cared for me when no one else was. Brian Johnson, a man who's gone on to be with the Lord, he spoke to me, an introverted young man who did not want to speak to anybody. He came and spoke to me and started conversations with me and showed me some of the deep truths of the gospel. He helped me understand the Bible in ways that I never understood. A man named John White is the pastor of Freedom Baptist Church in rural Hall, North Carolina. Again, owes me nothing. But one of my darkest and deepest moments in my life he was a friend to me. And I needed it. He was a friend to me. Then there's some other men who've been influences on me. I don't know them personally. They don't know me personally. But in this day and age, you can have such things as internet pastors. And I have people, I look at Matt Brunson. Man, I wish I could be half the preacher he is. You know him down in Alabama right now. Vance Hapner from a previous generation. Oh my goodness, what a man. Even while I've been disappointed with some of the things that he's done of recent, but I'm actually very grateful to Russell Moore, Southern Baptist, or previously the Southern Baptist Convention, and what he's done to me. These are people who have, whether they've known it or not, whether they meant to or not, but they've invested in me. Do you understand? They've laid their hands on me. They've given to me. They've provided for me a foundation of faith, some spiritual Stability upon which I can build a life. They have put flesh and bone on the theology that might have just sort of felt conceptual from a pulpit, but it was real. It was tangible. I could feel it. There was emotion involved. They gave that to me. And 
I want to go ahead and make the connection to you. If you're seated here today, if you are, and I know that we, we were having the live stream, I assume that's going on. If you're listening to the sound of my voice today, you may not have as rich or as deep of history as I've got. I understand. I feel like I've been overblessed. If you have this same legacy of faith, it has been given to you. It is here. That legacy that goes all the way back to Calvary, it is available to you. And I want to give you the same advice that Paul is giving to Timothy in this passage. You, Timothy, he says, you have a legacy of faith. You, Ellisburg Church, you have a legacy of faith. But if you've got that faith, you need to first feed on that faith. Look at me in verse 5. He says, Paul talking to Timothy, I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. He says, yes, it was first in your grandma, it was first in your mother, but it's in you, Timothy. You see, Timothy's godly heritage was wonderful. His godly heritage was a blessing. But that faith that resided in his mama couldn't save him. That faith that resided in his grandmother would not save him from the fires of hell. It had to be in Timothy himself. And he says, Paul says here, it's clearly in you. It's unfeigned faith. It's real. I can tell that it's real. I can tell what you've got is a real thing. It's in you now. I know it's there. He even says in the last part, I am persuaded. Last part of verse 5, I'm persuaded that it's in me also. He could see, Paul could look at the life of Timothy and say, I can see you've got this. So what I want you to see is, while this legacy is great, we can talk about parents, we could talk about preachers, we could talk about teachers, we could talk about friends, we could talk about nine ways to Sunday, and those are wonderful and we're glad to have them, but the faith that they have will not save you if you don't have it. You also must have this faith. Have you ever, 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 and I'm asking you, have you ever believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you counting on Jesus to take you to heaven? Are you counting on Him to take your sins away? Are you looking to His death, His burial, His resurrection from the dead as the hope of your future? Don't tell me Mama took me to church. Don't tell me I come to this church. Don't tell me that somebody talked to you one time. Don't tell me that. Tell me you believe in Jesus. That is seizing on this legacy of faith that you have. It is wonderful. If Mama didn't tell you, you might never heard it, right? If there wasn't a good preacher preaching the gospel, you would have probably never heard it. That friend didn't pull you to the side and say, Sir, let me just tell you about this Savior that I know. You wouldn't have known it. But that doesn't save you. It is not until you say, I have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. And that faith resides in your heart. You repent of your sins and you believe. As you heard that wonderful piano play, that song, if you don't know it, I'll just tell you. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed? That's a question, friends. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Not did you see somebody get washed, or somebody talk about it getting washed, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? All of this is a waste of time 
if it don't if you don't seize on it for yourself. I'll go ahead and tell you, yeah, to break mama's heart, to break daddy's heart, to know if they were good godly men and women, they they taught you the truth and you didn't seize on it or hurt their hurt their feelings. You know what that man. You will not get you may get to enjoy a good meal here today, great singing here today. I hope pastor will preach you here today. But you'll not enjoy that great homecoming in heaven. You don't seize on it yourself. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make that legacy of faith, uh, faith something that's yours personally. Because you have that legacy of faith, you need to seize on it. But second of all, I want you to know that because you have that legacy of faith, you have to stir it up. You have to stir it up. Look at me in verse 6. He says there, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in me by the putting on of my hands. You see, faith is not merely the key to heaven. It is the key to heaven. You cannot go to heaven without faith in Jesus Christ. But that's not all. It's not done with that. There's something about this faith that's supposed to help us right here, right now. It's available now. It's here. It's for us today. It changes how you face tomorrow. It, it, it's got to be put to use. You've got to stir it up. He talks about that idea. Uh, if you've got something that's kind of dregs in the bottom of a, of a, a picture, and you stir it up, kind of get it up, bring it about, that means you've got to bring it to mind from time to time. That means you're going to have to pray, talk to the Lord, going to have to meditate on His Word, read what His Word says. That's going to be something you're going to have to do from time to time to stir up what He's put inside of you. That means you're going to have to put it into action. It's not just a thing that you can say, yep, I believe that, and put it on the shelf and do your own thing. You've got to do something about it. Take what's in the Word and actually obey it. And by the way, by the way can I just tell you, obeying the Word of God is not the easiest thing in the world. Sometimes it's going to hurt your feelings. Sometimes it's going to break a part off of you that you don't want to break off of you. It's going to rub you the wrong way. It's going to be like sandpaper on a, on a burr of wood. It's going to rough that away, and you're just need to obey the Word. That's the stirring up that we need to do. We need to let it bloom in us. This is what the Scripture talks about, walking in the Spirit. This is not just a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night thing. This is an everyday thing. Walking in the Spirit, going to work as a Christian, raising your children as Christians, walking in your day-to-day, being a neighbor like a Christian is a neighbor to a friend. That's what we're supposed to be in every aspect of our life. That's what stirring it up looks like. Our problem is too many of us have this legacy of faith, and we're just letting it settle and sit. Too many of us are going to the bookstore, buying a book, and saying, man, ain't that pretty. I'm going to decorate my bookshelf with that. That is so not the point of a book. You understand what a book's for? Just read the thing. Too many of us are buying treadmills and we're putting it right there because we're going to lose some weight. We're going to walk on that thing. And then six months later, it's a clothes rack. You do understand that's not the point of those things. Too many of us are buying dishes just knowing we're going to have big parties and invite the whole neighborhood over, but they're sitting in the cabinet collecting dust. Don't treat your faith like a museum piece. It's not going to do the next generation any good. We've got some young people sitting here. If we try to, I believe, as a church, try to invest in them. If some of you families try to invest in them. We could probably do more. We always could do more, right? There's always more you could do. But 
those young people do not, can I just tell you, they do not need, I'm glad they give it to them, don't, don't hear me wrong. Kayla, I'm not saying we're going to suck your budget. Don't hear me say that. But what they don't need, they don't necessarily need activities or music or events. Those are wonderful as far as they go. You know what they need? They need real people of faith to show their faith, to live their faith. By the way, mamas and daddies, that's probably a little more on you than the rest of us, because you're the one they see more than the rest of us. But the rest of us have a duty as well. We've got to do that. If we want that next generation to prosper, we're going to have to do that. This community, we'd like to see them come to Christ. We want to see them we want to see them part of our community here at this church. But this community will have no, it'll do us no good. No good if our faith is a museum piece, something that we bring out and polish on Sunday and then put it away. This world must see us living our faith. And more important than anything, your faith will do you no good. If it's a museum piece. Yes, you'll get to heaven. Talks about that we'll get to go to heaven just barely by the uh, the skin of our teeth. We'll 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 go up to heaven, and all those good those works that we've done, they'll be put on the fire, and nothing's going to last. We talked about in First Corinthians chapter three. You'll get to heaven if you won't have one stick of reward to show for it. If your faith is simply sitting on a shelf and you're not doing anything about it. The very reason that you have a legacy of faith at all is because there were men and women who put the theory of faith into practice, and you need to carry that tradition on. We need to stir it up. Finally, finally, and I'm going to close with this. You have a legacy of faith, you need to sense it. What good is faith if it doesn't help you when things get dark? What good is faith if it doesn't help you when things get a little hard to see and understand? I have been, probably more recently than I care to confess to you, consumed with fear, overwhelmed by my own weakness, feeling lost and unloved by people that matter to me. This faith that we have in verse 7, we're reminded, this faith is powerful. Look with me in verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. This is the faith that we, this legacy I've been talking about, this is what it looks like. It's not a spirit of fear, but it's one that's powerful. It's strength when you think, I just can't. That's the kind of legacy that we have. That's the kind of faith that we have. It's the spirit of love. He says there that it is of love to embrace and to be embraced when you don't feel loved and you don't feel lovely. Even though you may feel alone, you know that Jesus died for you. Even though you may feel like nobody cares, you know that Jesus put a group of people together, that they're not perfect. Forgive me, I wish we were, but we're not. So we can love on you just the same. That's what we have. We don't just have this spirit. We don't have a spirit of fear, but a spirit that is of a sound mind. Calm and peace. 
in the midst of a raging storm. Even when things are at their most hopeless, we have hope. Not a hope so, hope so like I hope and maybe it will gamble on maybe it working out. No, no, a real hope, a anchor in the hope, knowing that our God has got this under control, that our God is in control of this, our God is the powerful one. We know and remember this legacy of faith when it's hard. When we can't see Him, we're blinded by our circumstances. When we can't feel Him, we're numbed because someone that we love so dearly has gone. Or someone we love so dearly has turned against us. Someone we love so dearly has hurt us. Someone we love so dearly will never get to see again because death has taken that soul. But even when those numb times come, those times when your faith feels so weak, you don't feel like you can believe the legacy of faith that you have is of power and love and a sound mind. When you're in that dark moment, that's when you need to say, hang on, i got something here. I need to feel it in a way that I can't feel anything else. I've got to sense it. We turn to Him. We know we can't turn to Him. That's what this legacy of faith is all about. I can cry out to Him. I don't have to struggle alone. I don't have to hurt on my own. I don't have to do that. Instead, I embrace Him because He loves me. I can do that. This legacy of faith is not just a bunch of nostalgia. It makes the frail, the panic, wrapped, and the disillusioned strong. That's what this faith does. Take people who couldn't do it and make some giants, as we say, in the faith. That's what it does. Today, I am thankful for the legacy of faith that we've enjoyed right here for 125 years. I hope the Lord gives us grace.